Now let's open our Bibles to um, John chapter 20, where Paul was reading for us earlier. And while you're turning, I always, uh, I just remembered in the, in the back room, um, special events that happen at Easter. And some of you here might be having your very first Easter as a born-again Christian. I was brought up in the church, believed in Jesus, but I wasn't born again um, until the early 70s. And I mean, my whole world had radically changed from one lifestyle to the next because all of a sudden he was real. And so I thought, um, um, I didn't know what to expect. This was a whole new experience. So I thought on my first Easter as a born-again believer, I would go to Menominee Park in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and watch the sun come up. Because the Bible said that Mary was at the tomb when the, right about when the sun was rising. And uh, she saw angels, and, and I thought, wow, I wonder if that happens <laughs> when you're born again. So I'm, I'm down at Menominee Park along that stretch where the beach is, where the trees are. And um, I'm just sitting there praying and really experiencing this, the presence of the Lord in a very, very special way. And I remember in the middle of my prayer, and I was thinking about those angels at the tomb, that all of a sudden, angels started singing. And I went, oh man, this is what it's like to be born again. You can actually hear angels singing. And it was beautiful. And I turned around and it was a Baptist church having a sunrise service. <laughs> John Scott talking about the resurrection tells us that um, it is fitting that a supernatural person should enter and leave the earth in a supernatural way this is in fact what the New Testament teaches and the church believes His birth was natural, and his conception was supernatural. His death was natural, but his resurrection was supernatural. With that this morning, let's look at our text, John chapter 20. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came down to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then she ran, and she came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple who was going to the tomb. And so they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down, looking in, he saw the linen clothes laying there, yet he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came, following him, went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not laying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And then the disciples went away again to their own home. What I'd like to do this morning is I would like to look at the order of, of um, uh, that the Lord appeared and showed himself on Resurrection Sunday. And what we're reading here in the first 10 verses of chapter 20 is that the first person that he revealed himself to was this woman called Mary Magdalene. Let me tell you a little bit about Mary. Um, First of all, going back to where he first met her, uh, Jesus was pretty much stationed up in Capernaum. Um, That was his headquarters. Uh, when, when we go to Israel, we like to stand on this huge uh, hill, about 600 feet above the Sea of Galilee. 
And when you're standing there, you can actually take your finger and, and point like, like this and hold it over the north, northern part of the Sea of Galilee and tell people that 60% of the Lord's ministry happened right there. So you have the Mount of the Beatitudes, you have Capernaum, you have Bethsaida, you have Chorazin, you have the place where the Lord cast the demons out of uh, in the land of the Gadarenes. All that is that in that little section right there. And um, it was in this area included in that right below where Mount Arbel is, is the ancient city of Magdal. And this is where Mary would have come from. There's a modern city of Magdal, but they're doing archaeological work right now um, at the base of Arbel, and um, they're developing it. Uh, They had gotten quite a way when doing it when we were there last uh, November. But... I identify with Mary Magdalene. I'm reading from Luke chapter 8 right now. Um, came to pass afterwards that as he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, that a certain woman who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, so she was demon-possessed, but then she had physical problems of some sort also, whose name was called Mary Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him and for their sustenance. So as you're leaving, if you go to that part, it's a vacation area for those in Israel because it's the main fresh water source. It really reminds me a lot of Lake Winnebago, only smaller. And um, as you drive out of Tiberias, you're only two miles going towards Capernaum, and you will drive by uh, the ancient city of Magdal. Somehow, some way, Jesus met her, and he delivered her of the seven demons. Whatever the infirmities were that she had, she was healed of. She was free. She would never be the same again. And for the rest of her life, from that moment on, she was follower of Jesus. And she was the first one that Jesus appeared to on Easter morning. As we read in verse 1, early in the morning, it was Mary Magdalene. There was something very, very special about this woman. And she was the first one that the Lord allowed to be seen alive after he had spent those three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, just like the scriptures tell us that he would. Now, evidently, when you follow the chronology of this, there were other women, but Mary was there first. But in Matthew 28, it goes from just Mary to they. So there were other women that were mentioned here, Joanna, uh, Susanna, Uh, Verse 28, the next group of people would have been these other women. So they went out quickly from the tomb, it says, with fear and great joy, uh, and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, rejoice. So they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said, don't be afraid. But go and tell my brethren to go into Galilee, and they shall see me. Now, there are things that are going to happen before this particular um, event happens. But as far as Mary, let's just go back and look at her experience, picking up in verse 11 of chapter 20. Mary stood outside the tomb, weeping. And she wept, and she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus was laying. And then they, the angels, said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said, Woman, Why are you weeping? And who are you seeking? 
Now, she supposed he was a gardener and said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Now, there's, without exception, during this period of time, for some reason, the Lord either chose to conceal his identity. The other hand, um, he was, Isaiah tells us he was barred more than any man. They completely ripped out his beard. Uh, whatever the answer is, we don't know, but the only thing that Mary recognized about Jesus is when she heard her name from his voice. And when she heard that name, she turned an explanation point, Robonai, which is to mean teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. So Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Now we're going to stop there. So what we have is Mary first, then Jesus appeared to these women who were given instructions to tell the brethren to go into Galilee. So those would be the first two. Now I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, one of my favorite stories. First Christian artwork I ever bought um, was Jesus walking with Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus. I like it because it was earthy and it had a... um, um, the Lord just walking with these two guys with a hand in the air like he was explaining something to them as they were just walking along. These would have been followers of Jesus, but they had given up, and they're going home. Let's pick it up in verse 13 of Luke 24. So this is before evening. It's not dark yet. Jesus is not going to appear to the disciples until it's dark. So this is happening during the afternoon. So in verse 13, it says, Behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Um, We go by it every time we drive up to Jerusalem. Um, Of course, it's not the same Emmaus, but we know where it is. And these two guys, Cleopas and his friend, they talked together of all the things that had just happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near with them. It says, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. So it could be a supernatural thing where the Lord's just not letting them. Or again, um, they, they, bottom line, they're not recognizing that they're actually talking to the Lord. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this? And why, why are you guys so sad? What's, what's the problem? Your countenance is down. And then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said, Are you a stranger around here in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things that have happened in these days? And the Lord, playing dumb, said, What things? And they said, Well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was, notice, past tense, a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, And then they crucified him. But we were hoping, again, past tense. It was over. They were leaving. They were going home. That it was he that was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, today's the third day since all this happened. And yes, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it as the the woman had said, 
but him they did not see. That would have been Peter and John. Now the Lord breaks into the conversation. He's listened to them. He then begins to teach them uh, what I would not give. I would give anything to be listening in on this Bible study. Because the Lord's going to give a Bible study, several, and explain what had just happened. And he looks at them and he said, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And he began at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning him. Now, I like teaching from a pulpit, but I'd rather teach. We were just looking at some old pictures from a trip from 94 from Israel. And I was giving a Bible study at the Garden Tomb, Ruthie. Yeah. Boy, I sure looked a lot different then. <laughs> but there's something about just being outside and walking and talking with Jesus. And that's what's going on here. So he's giving them a Bible study as they're on their way home. And he began with Moses. So there's more than with what, just one Bible study here that's being given. And he says... All the scriptures that concerning him. Now, the Bible tells us that the volume of the book is about Jesus. So what he's going to do now is he's going to take them back. I could pick many of them. Um, There's 110 references from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50 of Joseph being a type of Jesus. Uh, Here it says he started with Moses. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take one of Moses' story that they should, that he explained to them and he opened up the understanding as he taught the word. So let's go to the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, chapter 21. (laughs) My wife and I, um, you know, the old days, they always had Christian movies on. And um, these days, you got to go out and rent one. And Judy's favorite is robe, so we went out and got that. And I made it halfway through and fell asleep. And then another 10 minutes later, it started buffeting, and it was so worn out it wouldn't play. So she went to bed, and I woke up, and all of a sudden, there were the Ten Commandments right in front of me. So I stayed up and watched the whole thing. It was great. So here we have Moses, picking it up in verse 4. They're sojourning, and people being people, they're grumbling and complaining. Verse 4, so they've left Egypt, they've been delivered, and they sojourned from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And when the people spoke against God and against Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? There's no food, there's no water, and our soul loaves or we're sick and tired of this worthless bread. And so they're complaining. God's provision for them for the next 40 years was bread, bread from heaven. Jesus called himself the bread from heaven. And Jesus said, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from him. We feed our flesh pretty well. If I was to ask you what's more important, your flesh or your spirit, every Christian here would say, my spirit. I said, next question would be, which one do you feed more? <laughs> Most, if not all, are guilty as charged. And... Um, Give us this day our our daily food, yes, but that only feeds the flesh. And the the spirit is more important. But this is what God chose for them, to sustain them. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, how were they watered? Well, it says the rock that followed them was Christ. And when they wanted water, the Lord told Moses to go strike the rock. And he did. And there was plenty of water. And they could 
people continued to complain. I'm getting a little sidetracked. This is in my notes here, but it is important. Because they complained again about not having water. And this time, the Lord says to Moses, Now, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go speak to the rock. And, but Moses was mad because the people were always getting on his nerve and he had it up to here with them. And so instead of speaking to the rock, he took his rod and he struck the rock twice and he said, must I bring forth water? And God being gracious and loving, caring for the people, the water gushed out and they were satisfied. But he said, Moses, need to talk. I told you to speak to the rock. I did not tell you to strike the rock. It's a picture, a very, very important picture. You see, Jesus, once he's been smitten, never needs to be smitten again. Now you can go and talk directly to him. There's only one mediator between God and man, and it's Jesus. And it only had to happen one time. On Good Friday, just a couple days ago, we went through the seven sayings of Calvary on the cross. And the second to the last was, it is finished. A ten-letter word in the Greek, to telestai means paid in full. The work is done. And now all you have to do is speak to the rock. And it's really that simple. The disciples wanted to do some work to, to inherit eternal life. said, Lord, what good work can we do so that we can have eternal life? And the Lord looked at him and said, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. Well, what, I, what, what do I do, though? Well, you believe in the one that he has sent. Because when Jesus said it is finished, it is finished. The work is done. Only then can you know what Mary Magdalene experienced. When we read the scripture, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. If I put myself in any part of the works of the equation, I'm going to mess it up and screw it up somehow, some way. I'm good at doing that. And the Lord knows that. So it has to be all Jesus and nothing of me or you. Good place for an Amen. So that's what sets people free when they realize it's not about I have to do this or I have to do that. The point that we made with the thief on the cross, he had nothing going for him. He was a thief. Never went to church, had no good works, was never baptized. And a sinner's prayer was, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. He says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. That guy you're going to meet someday. He's going to, he's going to be in heaven. All right, back to Numbers. So they're complaining about the the bread. And so the Lord judges them in verse 6. So the Lord set fiery servants, serpents among the people, snakes, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel began to die. Well, sometimes the Lord puts us through things to get our attention. And it got their attention. And so the people, when they came to themselves, they came to Moses and said, we blew it, we have sinned. And we have spoken against the Lord. We've spoken against you. Moses, pray to the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord said to Moses, he said, Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, so it was if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Okay, the context is what? Jesus is giving an Old Testament Bible study beginning with Moses, and he's telling them, and he's opening up the scriptures to them. When Jesus met Nicodemus, let me tell you the good stuff about Nicodemus. Eventually he gets saved, okay? But he sought out the Lord at night because he didn't want anybody to see him. So here we have Nicodemus at nighttime. It was the very first Nick at night ever. Okay? All right, just making sure you're awake. So he comes because he's a, he's a Pharisee. And um, he says, look, nobody can do the things that you're doing unless God is with him. And Jesus, knowing all things about all people, goes right for it, cuts to the quick, says, look, it's a simple Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You must be born again. 
So you hear people say that. And people will say, well, why must I be born again? And the answer to that is, because you must be born again. <laughs> well, that was over his head. And he says, well, I'm an old man. How do I go in and come out and new person again? He says, no, the wind blows where it wants to. And you can't see it, Nicodemus. And so it is everyone who's born of the Spirit. And so the supernatural experience is something that you don't see, but it definitely occurs. So as he's trying to minister to a man who's a minister himself, he's a Pharisee, who believes in the resurrection, and as he's ministering, trying to get through to him, what he tells Nicodemus in John 3 is this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's making a connection. So what do you think Jesus is doing with these two guys to the road to Emmaus? He said, that whole incident is about me. Now, bronze, without exception, is always a symbol of judgment. A serpent is a symbol of sin. So what do you have a picture of here? You have a picture of their sin, their complaining, their whining, and the Lord says he'll take care of it, but I'm going to draw a picture. You take that serpent, picture of sin, and put it on a pole, and you have sin being judged. And that's what he was explaining to Nicodemus. As Moses lifted up the serpent, well, the guys on the road, their eyes are beginning to open up, but they're not getting it all quite yet. And so put yourself in this situation. Imagine that you were one of those people who were complaining and you got bit by the serpent. First of all, let me tell you this. Every one of us here has been bitten by the serpent. All have sinned. All have been bitten. So that includes all of us. Equal playing field. Nobody's better than anybody else. And we all must make a decision, just like these guys did here. And as I try to put myself in this story, and I think it through, well, some of them said, really, Moses, that's all we have to do is look at this thing and everything's going to be fine? Yep, that's all i got to do. So here's this group of people. They go and they look at the serpent, and all of a sudden they're healed. And then there was this other sarcastic group of people who looked at Moses and he said, are you kidding me? I'm dying here. You want me to go look at a snake on a stick and everything's going to be okay? That's crazy. Those people died. It says that all who looked at the bronze serpent lived. And those who thought it was crazy died. Now we're back on the road to Emmaus. So let's go back to the road to Emmaus. We could have talked. He gave more than one Bible study. I just gave a quick one to um, um, illustrate what I think they would have, would have been going through. So beginning at Moses, verse 27, and all the prophets, he expounded to them the scriptures. I really believe this is one of the stories that the Lord told. But like I said, what I wouldn't give to be in that Bible study. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he was going to keep going, But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. So they invited him in for supper. And it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Now, my personal um, thought here is, that they didn't know it was Jesus up until this moment. So Jesus has said the prayer. He takes the bread, and just for a second, wash my hands. I'm breaking the bread, and now I'm giving it to them. Okay? So what's exposed? Holes in the hands. It's at this moment it says that um, their eyes were opened. Well, yeah. And they knew him, and then he vanished from their sight. That means he just disappeared and was gone. It had taken them all day to get to Emmaus, sad, bummed out. 
It took them all, but I bet they got back to Jerusalem a whole lot quicker. And it says, and then they read this verse 32, and they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? Um, The Lord gave those messages to them, and they were getting it. It was just, wow, that's what that's about? Nicodemus didn't get it, but Cleopas and his friend had an understanding that that whole story was all about Jesus Christ, and now here he is, alive. And the implication being, get back to work, boys. So... They arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and he found the eleven of them who were gathered together. And said, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. So now the next person, after the after he appeared to Mary, and then the women, then Cleopas and his buddy, it tells us here that he appeared to Peter. Now that's in Luke chapter twenty four, verse thirty four. And let me just go back and remind you of something. In our text, we read that John can run faster than Peter. That's in the Gospel of John. You don't find it in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. (laughs) But John wants you to know he can outrun Peter. He got there first. Well, he went in, looked in, but didn't go in. Peter just goes barreling right in. And then John went in. And this is what it said. John looked in, and he believed. It does not say that about Peter. Read it carefully. John believed, and Peter, last seeing Jesus, in my personal opinion, in no way could he ever declare himself to be a disciple of Jesus again. He had just crossed the line too far. I will never deny you, These other guys here, I can see them flaking out, but not me. I'll die for you. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the night's out. Never. And he denied him three times before the night was out. Last thing that we read is that Jesus went like this, and he looked over at Peter. It was not a look of condemnation. It was a look of, Peter, I know you better than you do. And I knew you were going to do this. And it was a look of compassion, of grace. And then it says, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. And as far as he was concerned, he says, I'm not worthy to do any of this stuff. Here we have a meeting where the guys come back and somehow they know that Jesus had a one-on-one with Simon Peter. Luke 24, verse 34 tells us that he appeared to Peter. Question is why? I mean, he's going to be with the. He's going to appear to the twelve in just a little bit. I believe it was a very, very personal one-on-one. Well, Dwight, what did Jesus tell him? I don't know. I don't think he wants us to know. Do you know that there's things that are personal, so personal, even between a husband and wife that that um, you talk to the Lord about. And I see here the Lord going after. Peter, because there's no way Peter's coming back. Because he felt he had gone just too far, scratched me off. There's no way I could ever be a disciple or a Christian again. I've, I've, I've let him down. The reason I believe that Jesus did this, he says, Peter, you're getting a second chance here. And you, mis- you completely misunderstand. And he, of course, in John 20, one where we read the three times where Jesus asked him if he loves him. He says, Lord, you know I do. That's a whole Bible study within itself. But the thing that he was concerned about, now that you're restored, feed the sheep. Just feed them. Tend to them. If you love me, then do that. So the next person that Jesus would have appeared to after Cleopas, by the time they get to Jerusalem, they said that, that he had already appeared to Simon Peter. I'm quoting now 1 Corinthians 5, verse 4 and 5. It says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. Let's go back to John 20. So first Mary Magdalene, then the women, then Cleopas and his friend, then Peter, and now... Remember, it was getting dark, and that's why they asked Jesus to come in. Now it is dark. So as you look at verse 19, that's why we have the four Gospels. Uh, They harmonize. They fill in the gaps. So um, these guys all left and ran when they came to arrest Jesus. Every single one of them forsook the Lord. And so... Verse 19, then the same day at evening, this would have been the first day of the week, so it was Sunday night, when the doors were shut where the disciples were, and I want you to to get this, they were assembled for fear. They were in fear mode because now they thought their own lives were going to be taken. They were afraid of the Jews. And so put yourself in the story. You're worried about any little thing happening, any knock at the door, anything like that. And then it says, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them, and he said, boo. (laughs) No, I love doing that, (laughs) because they were already afraid. No. He says, peace be with you. And that fear that was there, as they're trying to download this into their brain, what's happened here? Doors are locked. And here he is. And when he had said that, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. From fear to gladness to joy. Then he said to them, peace to you as the Father has sent me. Now I'm going to send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. This could not have happened until Jesus was resurrected from the dead. The spirit could be upon, you know, like Samson in the Old Testament, where it says the spirit of the Lord came upon, but never in. So now we have God dwelling inside. When Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday, it says the veil in the temple where the Holy of Holy was in the Ark of the Covenant, it was ripped from the top, all the way to the bottom. Nobody could go into that place or you'd die. What's God saying? Come boldly. The work's been done. You can actually go straight to the Father and do it boldly because of the work that he has done. Now the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, was in the the disciples. But Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not there when Jesus came. And then finally he shows up and the disciples said to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I put my hands in the print of the nails and I put my finger in the print of the the, the nails and put my hand in his side, I am not going to believe. I'm not buying it. You guys are having this false hope that you're holding on to. And um, eight days now pass. And so now it's eight days later, and once again they're assembled, verse 26, and eight, after eight days his, his disciples again came inside, only this time Thomas was there. Jesus came in, again the doors were shut. What does that mean? That means just as he vanished from the supper table on the road to Emmaus, uh, he just appears in the room with the other disciples. And he stood in the midst and he says, peace to you. And then he looks right at Thomas. He goes right for Thomas. He says, Thomas, come on over here. Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Well, how would the Lord know that? Well, the Lord was there all the time when he was talking to Thomas, he was just not allowing his appearance to be seen. I think one of the greatest things about a resurrection body, it says, 
ours will be like his in 1 Corinthians 10. We'll, we'll know as we are known. Now we look through a glass darkly. We don't see the clear picture of what our bodies are going to be like, but then face to face. And if I understand this correctly, my resurrected body is going to have the same capacities as the Lord did here. And he says, do not be unbelieving, but believe. And when Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And then the Lord looks at Thomas and he said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you know that this is a very important scripture? Because some people, like myself, expecting to hear angels singing on Easter morning or some sort of supernatural thing. Here's a chuckism. God works supernaturally, naturally. And he can be working in your life, and it's not something that's visible, like what I call a road to Damascus conversion, where the voice comes from heaven and speaks to Paul directly. I can tell you that 95 to 90 8% of people don't get saved that way. They don't have a road to Damascus conversion. They simply hear the gospel, and um, they, after hearing the gospel, Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. To whom much is given, much is required. Do you know that? There are those here who have had supernatural experiences. And because of that, you're accountable for more. There are those of you who have accepted Jesus when you were six years old and faithfully walking with him. You love him. You know his voice. And you're faithful to him. But you've never heard God speak to you audibly. And then maybe you've never seen a miracle. And what does the Lord say? Well, you're blessed because you're believing by faith. You're believing because disciples took the gospel and it says there'll be those that will believe just because of your word. So don't expect, if you're wondering as a believer, something's got to happen, that God's got to show me. No, you're more blessed if you believe it just because God says so. Another good place for an amen. That's what, this is what uh, is, is being taught here. So Thomas would have been one of the last. So I'm real hesitant with the whole signs and wonders thing as evidence and proof of, of uh, Christianity My Bible teaches me to look out for it. Jesus said in the last days, four times in Matthew 24, there's going to rise false Christs and false prophets. What are they going to do? Show great signs and wonders to deceive. Not to believe, to deceive. Uh, In watching the Ten Commandments last night, I got to the part where Moses... Charlton Heston (laughs) is standing before Pharaoh, your old Brendan, and he says, let my people go. Why should I let my people go? Aaron, take my rod and show Pharaoh the power of God. He throws down the, the, the rod and turns into a cobra. And everybody goes, and Pharaoh's not impressed. Goes Janus, Jambri. They bring out the rods and they throw them down and they become serpents. Well, what does that teach us? That they could duplicate all of the miracles that were done except for three of them. So in the spirit realm, I'm more concerned with not the sign and the wonder and the miracle. I want to know what you want me to believe because of the sign and the miracle. Jesus said here, it's better to believe by faith. Remember, to whom much is given, much is required. They have a a greater accountability. So um, in these verses, these final verses here, um, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll begin to wind this up. This is the resurrection chapter. So Thomas would have been the next one. He simply wasn't there. Thomas, by the way, went to India. He landed in Madras. I've been there. 
And that's what the people talk about. When it says go into all the world, well, Thomas ended up in India. In a state of Tamil Nadu, in a city called, they changed the name, it used to be called Madras. And in chapter 15, um, we read, I'll pick it up in verses 1 through 4 for starters. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Those little ifs in the Bible give me pause from time to time. I'm not going to go there now, but there's a lot of them. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve, and after that it was seen, now here's the next order of of events, over 500 brethren saw the resurrected Lord. And it goes on to say, of whom the greater part of them are still alive and have not fallen asleep. There's, there's hundreds of people that were eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And after that, he was seen by James and then by the apostles And now Paul says, the last one that he appeared to um, in men's prayer yesterday, we're reading about the stoning of Stephen and how Paul consented to it. He was the first martyr and he spoke with such boldness and um, they they could not confound his wisdom and his spirit. And it said they were cut to the heart. And they wanted to kill him. They wanted to gnash at him. So they did. They stoned him. But before he died, he looked up into heaven. He says, I see heaven open and I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Only place in the Bible you read it. He's always sitting at the right hand. So here's the first martyr. And uh, after he was stoned, the Bible just says he went to sleep. And uh, he, was, he was killed and he was martyred. But Paul was a part of it. He consented with it. Paul would go from house to house, drag Christians out, take them to court. He wasn't satisfied just with Jerusalem. No. The ones that were on the run, I'm going after them. He gets special papers and orders, and he's on his way to Damascus. And it's on his way to Damascus that the Lord appears to him. And so when we read here, Um, In verse 8, then at last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Can we all say amen to that? By the grace of God, we are what we are. And his grace toward us was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I but the grace of God that was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. He had a road to Damascus conversion. He heard the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard to kick against a goad. Let me put it in terms you understand. It's hard to kick a cactus. And not get hurt. He says, why are you doing that? And he says, Lord, who are you? And he said, Jesus, whom you're persecuting. He was blind for three days. I bet you he did a lot of soul searching in three days of being blind. Turn out the lights, be by yourself, and think about all that he'd done, all that he'd seen. And then the Lord tells Ananias, or Ananias, said, I want you to go pray for Paul. He's praying right now. He's blind. I want you to pray that he gets his sight back. So he does. He says, are you sure? I heard about this guy, and he seems to be not on our side, Lord. <laughs> he seems to be the bad guy. No, he says, no, he's a chosen vessel of mine, 
and I'm going to show him the many things he must suffer for me. So he goes over, lays hands on him, and he receives his sight. Well, he says he began to preach immediately, but do you know that he didn't start his ministry for 12 years? A lot of people don't know that. He spent three years, two to three years, in the desert alone, one-on-one with the Lord. And then, after 12 years, then we read about the works and acts of the Apostle Paul. This morning we've gone through from a very special woman that I look forward to to meet named Mary Magdalene. And um, we followed all the way through to the 500 that saw him, and then Paul himself. And um, I'll close with a question. What if there was no resurrection? What if we couldn't be here this morning, worshiping, fellowshipping, studying the word? What if it never happened? What if it's not true? And that is what happened to the Corinthians. For... We read here in verse 12 that there were those who said there is no resurrection. Um, There were the scribes and the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection and in angels. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection or in angels. And of course, that's why the Sadducees are sad, you see. You've heard that one before, I can tell. But this is what they were saying. Now, if Christ has preached that he was raised from the dead, how do some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. You guys are all wasting your time this morning. Yes, and we are all fallen false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom if he did not raise him up, in fact, if the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. What a scary thought that is. Then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiful or miserable. The resurrection is everything. I have a quote here from Henry Morris. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is a crowning proof of Christianity. If the resurrection did not take place, then Christianity is a false religion. If it did take place, then Christ is God and the Christian faith is the absolute truth. This is Easter 2017. And um, I want to leave with a couple commercials this morning as I close things up. I like to tell people uh, when we did um, Mike's father's funeral last Thursday that there's there's just certain moments in time Solomon said it's better to go to a funeral than it is to a party and then he gives the reason why he says because the living will lay it to heart I want to tell you that there's a lot of things going on in the world right now and a lot of people have a real hunger and a desire They sense something is happening, and they know it has something to do with Israel and the Middle East. I don't think it's a coincidence that we're starting the book of Daniel. We just finished Ezekiel, but we're starting Daniel. And I want to encourage you that we are living in the last of the last days. Now, for some of you, that sounds strange. But the more you study what's happening, you see that it really is happening. And Revelation 1 is where we're going to be this Wednesday night. I'm going to ask you to start prioritizing your spiritual life. If you're not involved with 
studying through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And put those other things that we're so busy with the world that we're living in today. But really realize where we are in time. And the Bible says in Ephesians that he gave some to be pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints. Now I'm willing to be here every Wednesday. And I'm willing to do the equipping through the teaching of the word of God. But it's so that you can do the work of ministry. And when Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, then the only thing I want you to do is feed the flock. Feed them, just teach them. They'll grow. Just do it simply. And it'll bring forth good fruit. In Revelation 1, this will be one of the verses that we'll read this this coming Wednesday evening. Jesus said, I am he who lives, who was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I happen to have the keys of Hades and death. The book of Revelation and the majority of churches in our country today do not take it literally. They take it allegorically. And there's never been a greater time, such a time as this, is to know this book. But it dovetails with the book of Daniel, which we just happen to be starting next Sunday morning. So these two go together. And I do want to encourage you to really, between you and the Lord, think about getting these books down so that the people that you're concerned about, that you can give an explanation that isn't weird or that they can actually see it happening and you have an explanation for it. Chuck can say so much in two paragraphs and I'll close with his text that was my text this morning, John 20. And it says, but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. Scriptures capture the very moment when heartache turned to hope. Mary, seeing that the stone rolled away from the front of the tomb, she stooped down, looked inside. Her weeping will turn to temporary confusion, no doubt. But what she doesn't realize is that the day when God will give beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning and the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, Before the day is over, the truth of the resurrection will be confirmed. Jesus will appear to Mary and the disciples, and they will discover that all his words were true, that he is indeed the Son of God, and he is the Lamb of God who gave himself as a ransom for sin, and that he he is all that he claimed to be that he is the resurrection and the life and the way and the truth. On this new day, the first day of the week, something new was born. The bridge between man and God was gapped and a new relationship was made possible because he lives, we can live, because he conquered the grave. We need no longer fear death because he defeated sin. He can be free You can be free from sin's clutches. There in front of an empty tomb, Mary experienced the truth of the psalmist's words. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There may be some here this morning or those watching live stream who, like Peter, just says, not me. I know myself too well. I could never pull it off. I could never make it. I want you to know that the Lord is looking for a one-on-one with you. And if you'll just be open to him and um, talk with him, he will meet you right there, even though you think you've gone too far. He's the God of the second chance on this Easter 2017. Let's stand in prayer. Lord, what a glorious hope that we have to be with the two guys on the road to a mass, Lord, would have loved to have heard that study. But the fact of the matter is that your word tells us for the countless ages to come, you're going to be doing just that, giving Bible studies and explaining the fullness of the word of God, this book. But for now, Lord, we just rejoice with the resurrection. 
And we're so grateful for all that you've done. And we know that it's all you, and we give you all the praise and all the glory. So thank you, and I pray for any, Lord, this morning that do not know you, that I have not been born again. I pray that by your Spirit, as your word says today, if you hear my voice, harden not your heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.